0: Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, as we read verses 1 through 16. Hear now the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker As I give to you, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on your freedom in showing grace today, would you even now be in the process of helping us to love your mercy and never begrudge your generosity? Make us quick to share the good news about your kindness with people who need to hear it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As, the, as our culture becomes increasingly Christ-haunted, and uh, moves in, uh, moves away from Christian view of the world, Christian worldview, there is an increasing modern interest in the concept of karma. Uh, when we talk about karma, what are we talking about? Uh, karma is a principle found in Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism that says uh, what goes around comes back around. Perhaps you've heard that before. Uh, that our actions in this life produce negative and positive energies. And so, and they come back on us eventually. And so with karma, our good and bad actions have an impact on events in our lives and on what is supposed, what is supposed will be our next life once we are reincarnated. And so in karma, if we are good, then good will come back to us. And if we are bad, then bad will come back to us. Karma is not a biblical concept by any stretch. The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation, of course. uh, And it doesn't teach that the universe is governed by impersonal laws or energies. Instead, the Bible tells us that God personally and sovereignly governs the world and that he is personally involved in and interested in the goings-on in our world. There is no such thing as karma. But the idea of karma has a draw to people uh, at the moment. Uh, Even people who aren't Buddhist or who aren't Hindu still like the idea when they think about it that people do what people do always comes back around to bite them. Uh, People crave a sense of structure to the world, but also a desire that for that structure to be something impersonal that doesn't actually ask anything personally of them. And yet all people have this instinctive sense that. When people do bad things, that bad things should come back to them. And when people are good, something good should result. There's an inbuilt sense of that. Um, We have this intrinsic, inborn, inescapable sense of justice, Paul tells us in Romans 1. He says that all people have this inborn sense of right and wrong. Now, what has happened, and you also see this when you look at Romans chapter 1, is that people know the truth but they suppress that truth. Uh, Many Westerners want to think they are good, that they're they're moral, but they also want there to be no God. And and that is what makes the idea of karma attractive because karma is not a God that asks anything of you. Karma feels like a safe thing to believe in that feels spiritual but not religious, something tailor-made for the moment that we live in. And yet the idea that there is no such thing as law But no lawgiver is incoherent and is self-contradictory. We can't have it both ways. Now, in the modern way of thinking, here's how all of this plays out. When Westerners abandoned God, they didn't stop being Pharisees. They didn't stop being self-righteous. To use the word Puritan in a negative sense, which it really deserves better than that, but I'll use it. They become very Puritanical. Uh, They don't abandon that puritanical impulse. It's just that now, without a belief in God, self-righteous Westerners talk about karma and celebrate it. And I'm going to say something here. I'm going to insert something just sort of as an addendum. When I wrote this sermon, nobody was talking about Taylor Swift. (laughs) And today, apparently, is Taylor Swift Day, is what I heard. I just want you to know this was prepared before any of the interest was, was aroused. So um, just know I'm not trying to be cute here by quoting Taylor Swift. Um, but there's a line in a Taylor Swift song where she says this. She says, karma is a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? And she says that the reason karma is a relaxing thought for her is because, to quote the song, she keeps her side of the street clean. So here's here's the problem. If you're a sinner, then a song like this is just three minutes of straight bad news. It's just three minutes of outright condemnation. You're a bad person, and that's why your life isn't working out. That's what she's saying. Now, if you listen to the song, and I'm not recommending it, but if you listen to the song, Taylor's life is great. Taylor's life is fantastic. She has a cat, uh, and the cat loves her. Uh, Taylor has a boyfriend, and I'm sure no one's ever heard about this. Um, Taylor has a boyfriend, and she feels the breeze in her hair on the weekend. Why? Aren't you glad I didn't sing that, by the way? Because she's been good, and she's been ethical, and she's lived up to her low moral standards. But this this is a song that delivers bad news, not good news. She has bad news for people who haven't been good and haven't been kind and haven't lived up to the law. So please don't dismiss what I'm saying. The reason I'm quoting her is not because today is Taylor Swift Day. It's because she is very representative of a modern thinker. Um, Stadiums full of young people love to sing her songs and probably some dads that took them too. She reflects the spirit of the age. She is reflecting the moment that we live in. The horror of karma. Is that it is always straight. Always fair. Always dispenses justice. And and it's a horror. Because karma has no actual good news. For the human race. All of whom fall short. All of whom mistreat each other. All of which fall short. All of which deserve condemnation. And so. Karma is law, and the law comes with the hammer. It comes with the bad news. It comes with condemnation. Taylor sings about herself in that song like she's the hero. And and I think a lot of people sing along with that song like they're the hero too. But scripture tells us she hasn't been as good as she thinks. None of us have. And her self-righteousness deserves punishment too. If, if, if all of us knew our own hearts better, we would know that karma is bad news for her and bad news for us. So here's what I propose. Uh, instead of listening to Taylor and to the bad news that she has for sinners, um, listen to a Christian band called Reliant K. Um, I, if, if anybody in here knows who Reliant K is, there are probably like three of us. But they said this in one of their songs, the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. The beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. Here's how differently God's word portrays these things. Really, you should listen to scripture, but, you know, trying to be cute here. The scripture says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. In other words, we don't live in a world of karma, He makes the rain fall on unjust people too. We live in a world of grace. The the Bible says we are far worse than we realize and we are treated far more graciously than we deserve. That's what God's word tells us or um, better yet than listening to Reliant K. Listen to Jesus, because if there is any passage in all of the Bible that really leans into the deep unfairness of the gospel in the best possible way, I would add, this has to be near the top because Here is a story where Jesus tells us that God in Christ is free and unfair and generous. And he wants us to know that is the best news in the whole world. Now, I need to give a warning about this parable and just about parables in general. Actually, we have to be really careful what we do and don't do with parables. We need to be careful when we read parables, not to go beyond what Jesus is intentionally illustrating. And here's what I mean by that. This is not a parable where we really learn how we get saved. This is not a parable that shows that should be dissected as a lesson in how justification by faith alone works. For example, we always need to be careful not to squeeze the parables of Jesus like a sponge and and try to get every possible interpretive meaning that we can from each piece of the parable. Instead, we're to listen to the main idea of the parable and let the parable illustrate that main idea. Because if we tried to do that, for example, with a passage like this, if we tried to say, get a doctrine of justification from this passage this morning, we would see all of this discussion of work and labor. And we might wrongly conclude that there are some people of God who actually deserve to be saved because they worked. And there are others who have been let in by grace that, that that would be a wrong conclusion to arrive at. But it is one possible way of sort of confusing the reading of this text and misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells us that the main point of this story is not how we get saved. Instead, it's a parable about the freedom of God to show mercy in a way that is free and gratuitous and generous and that to many onlookers might seem unfair. That's the point. God is free to be gracious, even if you think you deserve his grace. The culture around us does have a vague interest in fairness. It has a vague interest in injustice. Uh, but the gospel brings good and merciful news to people who don't actually deserve to hear good news. Uh, it brings good news to people who've even been unjust, and it brings humbling news to people who think they have a boyfriend and the breeze in the hair in their hair on the weekend. right It brings good news even to that person because they've been good and virtuous. That person gets humbled by this passage. That person gets humbled by this story. And so today Jesus has three things for us. First, grace for the workers. Second, grace for the latecomers. And then third, freedom for the Lord. How unfair can things get? Well, let's find out. Um, First, Jesus leads off with a story of grace for the workers. Here's what I mean. In this parable, Jesus tells us about this fellow who owns a vineyard and he finds people to work in it. And so he finds these folks at the start of the day. Um, when I used to live in Phoenix, I would drive past like Home Depot and there would just be lines of men standing out uh, next to the road. And they were, they were day laborers and they, were, they wanted to work. And so you would see people just pull up in like a, in a pickup truck. Say a few words to them and they would hop in and they would go to work for the day. These are hardworking dudes. Uh, these are guys who they just want to make a day's wages. And these, these are go-getters. These are people who know they have to provide. And that's the kind of people that the owner of the vineyard goes out to get. He, he gets going right away and he grabs these folks. He brings them in. They've agreed to work for a full day's wages. They are, they are glad to work what they're going to be earning and they get started. And we know that by the end of this story, these same people are going to get exactly what they've agreed to. The vineyard owner is not going to violate his promise or his agreement to them whatsoever. These people in the story represent the straight arrows. They they represent the people who, they they come into the kingdom of God, they enter early, they go by the book, they've basically been there from the beginning. Um, If you're looking for biblical examples You might find somebody like this in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he came to Christ, he was a a Jew's Jew. He he followed the law of Moses carefully. He was a commandment keeper. Uh, As a Pharisee, he went above and beyond in his law keeping. He was very proud of the work that he did. He had this long list of good things that he had done. And yet we know that in God's kindness, he had a different plan for Paul, and he rescued Paul, and he gave him this lifelong calling to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, This group that he had previously looked down on, this group that he had previously separated himself from and wouldn't even associate with before, and now he's going to them, and he's telling them the good news, and he's giving them the same grace and the same gospel that he's received, And yet as someone who had worked long in the vineyard by the end of his life, Paul did not live with self-righteousness once Jesus got hold of him. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says at one point, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that his grace toward me was not in vain. So, so Paul Paul knows that his works and he knows that his labors never came from himself. They came from God. Everything that he has experienced, everything he has received has been from him and through him and to him. He goes on to say, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. And Paul Spent the later years of his life pouring himself out for Jesus, and he knows that even doing that is really because of grace from God. And so, even if Paul was not proud or self righteous, Jesus is certainly speaking of a group here who may be tempted to become self righteous if they forget the grace that they live by every day. In verse 11 of the story, they do grumble. That's the phrase that gets used. They grumble at the master. Because they recognize how much they've been working and they notice themselves and they point to themselves and they point to their service and their mind is entirely fixed on themselves. That is a temptation for somebody who is one of these straight arrows. That is a temptation for us. You may resonate with this group in the story and you might resonate with this group if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time. If you have a, a family history that goes back a long time in the church, uh, you you know the sort of person who could say my my parent, my father was a my father was a, a member of the church his father was a member of the church or or, or, or my my family are ministers my family it goes back all these x amount of years and and you know just being able to look at that history and see something rich there. Um, If this is us, then there is a message for us here. Yes, the kingdom of God has old timers and those with a long history, but we're never to begrudge the fact that God also shows grace on others in his vineyard who have just arrived. There's not a hierarchy in the kingdom. We're all the same laborers in the same vineyard. Nor is God obligated to give us some sort of special treatment that we feel entitled to. Um. James Montgomery Boyce uh, relates a story about this. There's a, there was a preacher named R.A. Torrey who had been speaking at a meeting on prayer. And he was talking about prayer at this meeting. And he received a note from somebody who wanted, who wanted Torrey to answer this question. And here was the note that was written to him. It said, Dear Mr. Torrey, I am in great perplexity. I have been praying for a long time for something that I am confident is according to God's will but I do not get it. I have been a member of the Presbyterian church for 30 years and have tried to be consist- a consistent one all that time. I have been the superintendent in the Sunday school for 25 years and an elder in the church for 20 years. And yet God does not answer my prayer and I cannot understand it. Can you explain it to me? Just think to yourself whether you have had, maybe perhaps in your heart, you haven't written the note. I haven't gotten any notes like this from anyone recently. But are there things that you would go to, to the Lord and give a note like this? So R.A. Tori replied, uh, apparently in the course of the meeting, that he could explain this quite easily. He said, this man thinks that because he has been a consistent church member for 30 years, a faithful Sunday school superintendent for 25 years and an elder in the church for 20 years that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. He is really praying in his own name and God will not hear our prayers when we approach him in that way. We must, if we would have God answer our prayers, give up any thought that we have any claims upon God. There is not one of us who deserves anything from God. You may be hurting and in a broken place in your life. And though you wouldn't say it, you perhaps secretly think like this, man, Lord, I've done so much. I followed the rules. I did what you said. Why does it feel like things are going so wrong then? And part of the answer here is that you are a recipient of grace, but grace is not owed. God is not your debtor. It doesn't mean that I can explain Current events in your life, but it does mean that the Lord is good and he has not failed to honor something that he owes to you. Everything you have is grace. Now there's a second group that Jesus mentions in this story, and so the second point I want to note is that Jesus also speaks of grace for the latecomers. Think about it. The the, the group of workers shows up at the very last hour. There are others that show up in between, but he really is presenting these two extremes, isn't he? These, these people show up at the 11th hour and yet they receive a full, full pay for a full day's work. He treats them like they were there the whole time. This group represents the crooked arrows, the, the messed up people. The, the late arrivals, the ones who barely did any work at all. They didn't spend the day hard at work in the vineyard. They didn't, they didn't work when it was sweaty. They came when it, when the sun was down and when the work was easy. They didn't put in the time. Their work was lighter. Who knows what they were doing while all the straight arrows were, were going at it in the field, right? They were probably wasting away the day just watching and it all seems to go to waste. And the last second, the owner drags them in and lets them in. And he treats them like they had been there all day. They just got there. And the owner shows them as much kindness as if they had been with him all the whole time. As if they had belonged just as well as the earlier arrivals. Some people in the Gospels have such short-lived Lives of service for the Lord. You know, they, they come to him and then boom, the sun sets on their life. <laughs> um, think of Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen, he, he, he's Stephen, the preaching deacon. That is Stephen. Um, and in the book of Acts, he gives a whiz bang sermon. Uh, and, and, this, and the sermon is, is just a tour de force. He, he condemns the Jewish leadership because they rejected Jesus. He lays out the whole history of salvation. If you ever want to have just the story in the history of Israel explained to you, read Acts chapter 7 and just listen to Stephen's speech. And, and he lays out the history of salvation and Stephen gets killed. And he practically goes to be with Jesus after just serving in the vineyard for a few weeks Probably. Some people come to Christ early and they live a long, blessed life with the Lord. There are others that come to him and they barely have even walked with Jesus before they get taken. Um, Some people follow Jesus in his vineyard all day. Others follow him for but a moment and they all receive the same grace and kindness. They get the same reward. There are so many examples in scripture of people who come to Jesus from A dark background, Um, prostitutes who find in Jesus light and forgiveness and grace, tax collectors, dishonest men, people with reputations, thieves, people who meet Jesus and find themselves rescued. These people may not be theologically sophisticated, but they know their sin and they come to know the Savior. And in this parable today, Jesus is saying all Christians live alongside of them by grace and they receive the same reward of eternal life from a gracious Savior, whether their backgrounds are good, by their own reckoning, or bad. You may be ashamed of, of how you lived your life up to this point. Maybe you look at your own background and you can't get over it. You, you can't move past it. You can't move past what you've done. This story is here for you. This story is here because you are the 11 o'clock crooked arrow. And Jesus calls you to come and and he will give you the same grace that he has shown to us old timers who've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. You need only trust him. You need only confess your sin. All Jesus calls you to do is to trust in him. Believe in his name. But really this morning, this sort of brings us up to our third point. And and it's really the main point of the parable, which is the, the freedom of the Lord. So after the owner of the vineyard has given the same reward to every person working in the field, regardless how long they have served, he says two very important things. First of all, he gives a speech. And in that speech, he says, first of all, friend, I am doing you no wrong. So the first thing he wants you to know is that he his grace might seem unfair, but it is not wrong. Um, grace gives. Grace shows generosity. And it does it in unequal measures. Right? Everyone is getting the same result. But some seem to think that they deserve it more than others. But in the, in the parable, the owner has decided he's going to give the same to all regardless of what they might think they seemingly deserve. He has agreed to show grace to those who come. Regardless of their work, regardless of the length of their work, regardless of the quality of their work, regardless of the quantity of their work. And then he gives the real lesson. He says, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. The idea of begrudging his generosity is actually the core here. Um, The whole point of the parable is our God is free to be generous in ways that may seem uneven to us. He is allowed to seemingly be more generous to some than others. He is free. And, and we would be fools, and we would be showing our hatred for God if we begrudge the possibility that he might show a last-minute reprieve to someone that we believe to be totally undeserving. I remember as a teenager being very scandalized. I, I was a new Christian, and I was very scandalized at the thought that a serial killer in prison might convert at the last minute and might find salvation in Jesus. I think Jesus would have come to teenage Adam thinking through these things and I think he would have said to me, what if I choose to give this man as I give to you? Do you begrudge my generosity? I think there was a time where I would have said, yes, I begrudge your generosity. And I think I didn't understand my own fallenness, my own sinfulness at that time. Christian, do you begrudge God's generosity? Do you believe were you God that you would dispense grace differently, more fairly. I think we're in danger of standing in judgment over God for his grace. And in doing that, we would be sawing off the very branch we sit upon because we depend upon his grace just as well as the thief or the murderer or the prostitute. We all need God's grace. If we begrudge it, then we fall. See, the point here is the freedom of God. God is free To show mercy to whom he shows mercy. This is a uh, repeated emphasis of God in scripture. In Exodus 33, 19, God says to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is saying, I am free. I can do what I want. I can be as kind as I want. And in in Romans 9, Paul is reflecting on this same passage and he concludes something. He says, so it, it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy. The point being, God holds all the cards. God can be generous. God can be merciful. See, Jesus teaches us something precious about God here. And the, the, the lesson is God is no one's debtor. We can't put God under some obligation. There's not something that we can do that triggers a requirement for God to act as we desire just because we did something in the past or because we promised to do something in the future. One of the really beautiful things we see here is that our Lord does not pay his people on their own merit at all. He pays on grace. If he paid them on merit, then they would all get paid differently, right? And and grace is not something that is deserved at all. If it was, we would call it justice, we wouldn't call it grace. If it, if it was, we would call it fairness. Dare I say, some in our own day would call it karma. If we always got what we deserved, That's what it would be. But Jesus says karma isn't real. I don't pay what you deserve. I'm more generous than that. I give what I want. See, the world isn't impersonal. No, it is deeply personal to the core and gracious all the way down. Perhaps the most famous example of a latecomer, of a crooked arrow. In fact, someone who did no work at all But found the grace of Jesus has to be the thief on the cross. He has to be. Uh, Here is this fellow. He's a criminal. And he's crucified to one side of our Lord. And and at one time we know that he jeered at Jesus and mocked him. But we also see near the end of his time on the cross that he has a change of heart. And he looks at Jesus and and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you remember Jesus' words to the man. He says to him. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a man who did nothing but trust. Nothing. He, he, he so did nothing that his hands were affixed in place and his feet were fixed in place. He literally could do nothing. Let me be real. That guy got a day's wages for zero work. Zero work. He Think of the man. He was so raw. He was so fresh. He was so green. He knew Jesus, and that was it. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard Alistair Begg's message, the man on the middle cross. And even though I would disagree with some things Alistair's recently been in the news for saying, I can't help but borrow shamelessly from this illustration. And um, here's what Alistair says in this sermon. He says, he says just imagine in heaven how... We're going to be there one day. And he says, I want to find the thief and I want to ask him, how did that shake out for you? You never got baptized. You never went to a Bible study. You never had church membership. And yet you made it. How did did you make it? And he just says, it would be so interesting to see what he must have said to the angel upon his entrance into heaven. You know, the angel's like, How did you get here? And the guy's like, I don't know. I don't know. So the angel goes to and gets his supervisor. And the supervisor's like, well, just a few questions. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith alone? The guy's like, never heard of it in all my life. Okay, what about the doctrine of scripture? I don't know what that is. So out of frustration, you know, the the angel finally says, wait a minute. On what basis are you here? And the only thing that the man could say is. The man on the middle cross said I could come. This man has nothing. He can claim nothing for himself. He has no works he can point to. He has no achievements to which he can appeal. He has no long family history. He doesn't have decades of service. All he can do is point to the free and generous and wonderful grace of Jesus. In a universe governed by karma that guy would come back as a roach. But in heaven guess what? He's a he's a, he's like a king. That is the difference between grace and karma. It is an infinite difference. Jesus is teaching us what our God is like today if we're willing to hear it if we're able to hear it. He's teaching us that God is free. God is gracious, God is merciful, God is generous, and no one can claim that God owes them anything. And so in response, the call that he gives to us is the call to humble reliance. The people God honors are those who say, we are unprofitable servants. At the end of the day, the response that we should live with is not, what am I owed for all my service? But instead, what a joy to serve such a merciful, free and gracious savior. Let's pray together. Oh, God, what a joy it is indeed that we that you cannot be in our debt. What a humbling thing to know that you are kind and that your kindness is never owed what a gift to know that you are merciful, that you cause the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike, that you show mercy to whom you will show mercy. Would you use these truths to humble us, but also to motivate us to share this good news with others? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.